and welcome to the iPhone Life Podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Auerbach, CEO and Publisher. Today we have a fun episode for you. We're going to have our resident iPhone photography expert, Rayanne Taylor, join us in just a little bit. And we also have some updates on Apple rumors from last episode because Apple did not end up having a March 23rd event. (laughs) And so we're going to talk about that as well. So we have that coming up. And first, David's going to share a message from our sponsor. Yeah, so today's sponsor is Jamf, J-A-M-F. And Jamf is a really excellent software for managing Apple products on an enterprise level or education level. And so if you are a company, either a small or large company, that is giving your employees iPhones, uh, there's a lot of extra things that you need to do. Um, You need to make sure that you're installing the proper security measures. You need to make sure that you can remotely reset passwords or wipe the device if need to. Um, And so what Jamf does is it allows you to manage that really easily. It's used by a ton of Fortune 500 companies, but also it's available for small companies as well, as well as education companies or, you know, education companies educators is the word I believe I'm looking for. So make sure you check it out. It's uh, You can go to Jamf's website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and they have up to three devices managed for free. So you can try it yourself and see if it works for you and your company. I also wanted to take a minute to tell you about our free tip of the day newsletter. If you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips, you can get a one minute video tip sorry, not a video tip, a one minute regular written tip sent to your inbox every day that teaches you something cool you can do with your iPhone in just less than a minute. So it's a pretty amazing low commitment way to increase your knowledge of Apple devices. And I also have a tip that I wanted to um, share with you. I actually, David, want you to talk about it because I know this is like one that you're very passionate about, and that's how to clear up some storage space on your iPhone by deleting old backups. And Mm. at least I can tell you how to do it, and David can tell you why it's so great to do this. We've been doing this a long time, that we know our weird, quirky passions about iPhones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if you You go into your settings app, yeah, if you go into the settings app on your iPhone, now you'll see a little profile at the top of your display. So you tap on that and you tap iCloud, and from there you can scroll down and tap backups, if I can find it, iCloud backup. Hmm. You know what, I'm gonna open this tip. I'm giving false instructions here. I got overconfident thinking I remembered where it was in the settings app. So if you go into the settings app, tap the name at the top, I got that part right, then tap (laughs) iCloud, and then instead of tapping iCloud backup, you'll tap manage storage. From there, you'll tap tap backups, and there you'll see a list of all of your backups that you have available, Um, and you'll see the most recent one at the top. That one you wanna keep for sure. If you have um, the default settings on your iPhone enabled, your phone backs up every night when you're connected to Wi-Fi and plugged into power. And I think that's a really good practice. That means if anything were to ever happen to your iPhone, if you lose it, if it's stolen, then when you get a new device, you can just basically set it up and have everything be the same way that it was before. All of your data is intact, all of your personal information, 
and photos and everything like that. So you want to have a backup for sure. But if you see more than one showing up there, which oftentimes if you've been using iPhones for many years, you will have older ones showing up. Um, you don't need those. Those are old backups that you likely are not going to be wanting to use and they can take up anywhere from two to six gigabytes of space um, generally. And so that's space that could be you could use elsewhere. This and this is a little true. hack. I mean, David, you used to talk about this a lot more back when um, we iPhones had lower storage, like 16 gigabytes iPhones that it's been a long time since we, we've been having those but some people listening might still have like a 32 gigabyte iPhone potentially if you have an older model and so having an extra few gigabytes makes a big difference okay so you are actually you're leading me really well into one of the points I want to make because you're making a mistake and this is a really oh. common mistake to make there is local storage and iCloud storage, and both oh. of those need to be managed. No, you're good, because it's really confusing, and everybody gets tripped up on this, so I wanna clarify. Both of them are important and need to be managed, but for different reasons. So what Donna's talking about right now is iCloud storage. iCloud storage is what you need in order to back up all your devices, and then when if you ever lose your device or you get a new device, it restores. So the reason why I'm really passionate about this is because I am so shocked by how many people do not manage their iCloud storage and then their devices don't back up regularly and then when they lose their device they're just screwed there's they lose all their contacts they lose all their photos they lose notes you lose so much important stuff so if you're listening to this and you are not having regular backups of your device, make sure you go turn that on. And in all likelihood, what you'll need to do, the reason why you're not regularly doing it already, is you need to clear out iCloud storage. Uh, most people for iCloud storage have, I mean, I there's different plans now. I have like, I'm looking right now, I have 200 gigabytes of iCloud storage because I have a family plan. But that's a, so that's iCloud storage. Um, and, and just- And you only get five gigabytes for free. So. Yes, and so what most people do is they try to be cheap and they try to make it work with five gigabytes, which maybe you can do if you're having your photos backed up through a different service. Um, but if you have photos included in that, there's just no way. Um, so the tip that Don is giving is a really good one because a lot of times if you only have five gigabytes or even if you're paying for like 20 gigabytes and you have an old phone's backup on there, it can be taking up like a quarter of your space. So clearing that out it's scary to delete it because it feels like you need it, but if you have a phone in there that you are not using or any device that you haven't been using for a long time, you're not going to need to restore that backup, especially assuming you have a backup of your new device. So you, you can feel free to delete that. Now, that is different than local storage. Local storage is how much storage your phone has, uh, and that what, you, what local storage is used for is downloading apps, uh, holding uh, photos on your phone, videos, all of those things are the th how much you can download onto your phone. Um, so podcasts. one is, yeah, podcasts, thank you. One is uploading to the cloud for backup, that's iCloud storage. The other is local storage. Um, they both are like probably the most two annoying things you have to deal with an iPhone is like managing both of those and they're confusing. So I'm glad we were able to clear that up and I was able to give my really passionate talk about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It just shows I, you know, 
If you get your iCloud and, and local storage mixed up, don't feel bad. I do too, apparently. Even Donna <laughs> does. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that um, managing your storage, it's always nice to have tips for that. We have tips like that, plus so much more if you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips and sign up. And next I wanted to give a quick plug for our paid subscription, our premium service that's called iPhone Life Insider. And when you subscribe to this, you get full in-depth videos for each daily tip. You get in-depth guides on a variety of topics that will help you um, really hit the ground running with whatever Apple device you may have just purchased or just want to get the most out of. Uh, we also have an ad-free version of this podcast with premium content, a digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine, plus our full archive of back issues and you get online live courses with expert instructors. And we, we are um, coming out with our iPhone fundamentals course next month. So it's a great time to sign up. Once you sign up, you get unlimited access to all our courses and you don't have to register or anything like that. You can just easily join whenever is convenient for you. So it's a good time to join now so you can get in on that course. You'll also get in on our photos app course in June, which is, um, all about photo management and editing your photos in the photos app and we do so, talk a lot about uh, backing up your photos onto the onto the cloud uh and yeah. i just want to because i feel like sometimes we underemphasize the fact that classes are now included so this mm -hmm. is our second time doing the iphone fundamentals course we've completely revised the whole course to be up to date for ios 14. the first time we did it we charged i think it was 350 dollars and it was not included in Insider. Even Insiders had to pay an extra $350. So the fact that you get four courses a year for free is a thousands of dollars of value. And it's worth that amount. It's really, really valuable content. You get live uh, question answer time with your instructors who are gonna be Donna, myself, Colin. So it's really awesome. And we're now giving it as part of Insider and we don't hype it very much. So I want to hype it. <laughs> it's true. And we've been adding now um, monthly workshops. So we have hour long sessions on different topics. We actually just had one on photography with Rayanne, which we're going to have her joining us shortly to share some of what she taught in that workshop, including uh, talking about Pro Raw, which is the a latest feature that Apple came out with for the latest phones. So you get to learn like, what is the deal with all these new features? Should I use it? Is it worth upgrading my phone to have those things? Um, well, she'll also talk about portrait and night mode as well. But anyway, if you go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount, you get 10% off your subscription to iPhone Life Insider. So I highly recommend you go and check it out now. Um, it's a great time to be joining. And uh, yeah, that's it. So I wanted to share an insider question this week. Part of our subscription is that you can send in any tech issues you're having or questions and one of our experts will give you an answer. So this question actually is about Pro Raw, so I thought it fit in well with our photography theme today. Here's what the insider asked. Your guide on Pro Raw is good as far as you covered editing raw files. We talked about that in the um, workshop as well, and we have a guide on it. I wanna know what can be done with these files. Can they be exported to Facebook, Instagram, etc.? And can they be converted to JPEG and then saved to your camera roll in iCloud? So it's a good question. Just like what, how do you really handle the format of RAW? Um, by the way, just I am 
not an expert <laughs> in photography. So we'll have Rayan explain to us what raw and pro raw mean in a little while. So the answer here is if you edited the photo in your photos app, it will save as a JPEG and be shareable in the usual way. Um, if you want to share a pro raw file from airdrop, you'll have to tap edit and then revert before you're able to share it in airdrop. Um, if you edit it with a third party app, the sharing options would depend on that app. But typically, I think the photos would be savable as typical JPEGs and therefore shareable as regular photos, including on social media. And that's something I want to ask Rayanne about. She uses Lightroom to edit her raw photos, pro raw photos. And so we can ask her how she shares from there if they're automatically um, converted to JPEGs or PNG files or whether she had to do something special to do that. But um, the short answer seems to be that if you're using Pro Raw, it's still very easy to share those photos in the usual way um, and convert them to other file formats that are smaller than Pro Raw. Can I just, there's actually a little gem in here that's not particularly related to Pro Raw that I want to point out because this is a really cool, I actually had it on my list of like, uh, things I've learned lately that I want to share. When you send somebody a photo, Apple typically strips out a lot of the data when you send it. So for example, if you're sending somebody a live photo, they can't view it as a live photo once you send it. Apple removes that feature when you text it to them. Um, same thing goes for if you send them a portrait. They, they view it in portrait mode, but they can't then go and edit which portrait mode it's in there's a way around that which is in this tip which is if you airdrop actually and i think when you're texting it gives you these same options when you're going to text i think it's in the top when you're texting a photo it's a top bar that gives you options of how you want to send it and the default will be to strip this stuff away but you can send it including you can send the original which includes all of this data so if you found sometimes for example i'll take a photo and the photo's okay but the live photo is really fun or if I'm sending a portrait mode, but I know they want to edit it, it's a really nice to know how to send them the actual original. And that was a little hidden tip in this other insider tip. Yeah, no, that is a really good tip. And actually, I don't know if I might've misread um, <laughs> the airdrop portion of the pro raw was that you can actually, with airdrop, you can, you can share it in the pro raw format as opposed to switching it to JPEG first. So if you were wanting to share it with someone like like you would maybe want to share the actual live photo format in via airdrop you might want to share pro raw so that they can edit it with all the extra um all of the extra size and editing potential with it um yeah. i think i had read it before that to make it sound like you first needed to switch it to a jpeg which you don't the one one disclaimer i wanted to give with this is that cullen um said that he was having a hard try hard time airdropping Pro raw files at all is a bit inconsistent from what he said. So I don't know if that's because it's new, um, but that's been our experience. I have a love hate relationship with AirDrop. Like I, it's a really convenient, but it does sometimes not work very well. Especially the time, like the two problems I tend to have with it are: if, a, if I'm sharing a really large file, which is probably why he's having trouble because yeah. uh, Pro raw is bigger files, um, or b, like sometimes people just won't show up. So somebody's sitting next to me with their phone and I want to airdrop it to them and their phone just doesn't show up as an option in airdrop and it drives me crazy. But it's so convenient when it works that I love it. So I don't know. 
Yeah, I think when it works, it's like better than anything else. But definitely people not showing up who should be showing up is a common frustration I've experienced too. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have some comments from our listeners from last episode. We talked about, great, while we're recording the podcast, I set everything up and then someone's mowing the lawn next door. So I apologize if there's a background noise. I can't hear it for what you it's worth. You can't hear it? Okay, no. that's good to know. Uh, so last episode, we talked about how to close all your Safari tabs and the fact that neither of us knew this for a while. So it's easy to have like hundreds of tabs open. So we asked people how many Safari tabs they had open and we had two people. It's funny. We had two people write in who had 500 tabs open. Phil said he had 500 tabs and Matt says I have 500 tabs open, but there are several I keep scrolling back to frequently. And uh, that was Matt from Australia. And I was posting this uh, in our work channel on Slack and people were saying, we need to tell Matt to use bookmarks instead of trying to scroll through his 500 tabs. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that exact thing. I'm like, that's all the more reason to clear out your tabs, Matt. <laughs> um, I, I wonder know. actually, and I don't know if this is, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if 500 is the max. And that's why we had two people who had 500. I, I wonder too, um, I wouldn't be surprised, or maybe they were just rounding it to the nearest 100, but yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we don't have a long news segment for this episode, but David and I did want to give you all an update that Apple is not having a March event. <laughs> uh, it might seem obvious because March is over now, but last episode we talked a lot about March 23rd being the date that Apple was going to announce AirTags and new AirPods and potentially a new iPad Pro. Um, those rumors are still in play, but now have been pushed to, to happening in April, sometime in April. Um, even with Apple doing all virtual events now because of the pandemic, it would be very unusual for Apple to not at least give about a week um, lead time before officially announcing an event. So. Um, like pretty much the day after we published the last podcast, the rumors switched to being in April because that window kind of passed where Apple Which is us. a couple thoughts on that. First of all, that's unusual. Like Apple, when they have a spring event, I don't remember it ever being in April. Do you? Like, I feel like it was always in March. Yeah, no, March is, it is unusual. Um, so that in and of itself is interesting. And we'll see. Part of me thinks Apple's going to not do it at all. That's um, that's not a real rumor. That's just a David guess. <laughs> um, but also, I read a rumor that was really fascinating. I was talking to you about it, Donna, of why there were so many rumors that there was going to be an Apple event. Apparently, Apple did this intentionally. They seeded rumors in order to catch leakers in their own company. And actually, like the week where all these rumors came out, somebody in their company got fired for, for allegedly leaking Apple trade secrets. So I think what they did is they must have like seeded different rumors to each person that was suspected and then saw which ones made it to the media and then they knew who was leaking. Uh, which was just such a fascinating, I mean, it's so, all of it's interesting that they cared enough to do that, that they were like willing to mislead the entire world in order to catch it. It was so crazy. Yeah, since I've worked at iPhone Life, I feel like the rumors are, have been very accurate, at least leading up to the, to the event where rumors are becoming more consistent. It's been pretty rare for them to not end up being true. And so this made mm -hmm. me wonder if Apple is trying to push back on that and get more of their secrecy back. 
Yeah, exactly. And it didn't used to be that case under Steve Jobs. Like we were regularly surprised by what was announced to the point where I remember when Apple TV was announced and nobody knew that there was an Apple TV coming. Uh, and that never happens now where there's a new product announced altogether that nobody had ever heard of. Like that just is, doesn't happen under Tim Cook. So I think you're right that they're trying to get some of their secrecy back. Yeah. And from what you've been seeing, David, are you still expecting the same devices as well? Like AirTags, AirPods, iPad? I haven't seen anything change in the rumors. So I think it was more the timing of the event that has changed. But we'll see. Like I said, I'm kind of one and by april it's like maybe you should just wait till wwdc at that point i don't know they might just do press releases we'll see all right so we've reached the main theme of the podcast where we'll be talking about the latest photography tools so these are features that show up on later model iphones including pro raw which is just on the 12 pro and 12 pro max so we'll talk about what pro raw is and um how to use it on your device. And we'll talk about portrait mode and night mode, which we'll get into what devices those work on. So um, I'm gonna cut over to an interview with Rayanne Taylor. She's our senior video producer at iPhone Life and is uh, an expert iPhone photographer. All right, we'll see you later, David. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hi, welcome, Rayanne. I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about the latest photography tools on the iPhone. Happy to be here. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, Rand's been at iPhone Life for how, how many years has it been now? I think it's going to be seven this year. Wow. And so I think this is the second time only we've had her on the podcast. But she is an amazing photographer and spends a lot of time outside of work just of her own accord, taking gorgeous um, photos, including macro photography, which I want to have you back on the show at some point to talk about that. Um, but I really wanted to pick her brain about Apple's latest photography tools. The new iPhones have Pro Raw, so we're going to talk about that because I've been curious about um, what are the benefits of and drawbacks of using this feature and also get her take on portrait mode and night mode and how to make um, the best use of these features. Because I, for one, was excited about night mode, but have noticed it's a little tricky to get the best shots and portrait mode, it's sort of the same deal. So let's start out talking about portrait mode. Um, Ran, for, could you first just like let listeners know what portrait mode is? Um, yes. So uh, portrait mode just creates a depth of field effect um, on your photos, which is what causes the um, background to be blurry. Uh, and it's a very uh, common thing that you'll see in professional photography with like nicer lenses. So this lets you like take a photo with a sharp uh, focus on your subject. And that's what people really like about it. And now which, which iPhone models support portrait mode? The portrait mode is a little tricky actually. So it works on the iPhone 10 and later, the iPhone 8 plus and the iPhone 7 plus, but there are features within portrait mode that aren't available on all of those devices. Um, for example, uh, lighting effects is a feature um, in portrait mode, which allows you to like add certain lighting effects uh, in real time to your images. And that's only available, um, that's actually not available on the iPhone 7 Plus. 
And there's also an ability to adjust the depth of field like um, and those lighting effects uh, in real time, like adjust the uh, intensity of them, I guess I'm trying to say. And that's only available on the iPhone XS and XR or later. So even though uh, portrait mode is available on a variety of devices, the uh, full range of features is not. Um, ah, so that's good to know for people trying out the features at home, uh, you do have to have a later device to use it. But um, maybe maybe this would be a good time to talk a little bit about like what what is your personal opinion of portrait mode? And if you don't have a device that has it, do you think it's worth upgrading just to have it? I mean, I, I actually don't use portrait mode a ton, but I, I use really? it frequently enough. Um, I think that, yeah, in general, I think it's, um, I do really like the feature, but I, I really like my images to be very clear. And sometimes when I'm working with like moving subjects, uh, portrait mode is not ideal. Um, the subjects will end up being a little blurry or the depth of field effect in the background will be a little wonky. Um, is that because like, is that because portrait mode is sort of an imperfect feature on the iPhone or is that just because portrait mode takes um, a longer exposure? I, I believe it's just that portrait mode takes a, a longer exposure. Um, and it takes a little, a little bit of time for it to like adjust the background appropriately. So that that's probably it. Um, but I do, I do really, I do really love portrait mode. Um, I, I just don't find that I end up using it a ton. I, I uh, end up capturing a lot of my images without using it. Um, but I know a lot of people who shoot primarily in portrait mode um, because they really love that blurry background. So see this I sort of, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I definitely would not necessarily um, make your decision based off what I'm, I'm saying right now. Uh, Although yeah. to me, it, to me, it sort of supports the point that I keep unfortunately discovering myself, which is that you can't rely on cool new features to make you a good photographer. <laughs> like right. even having portrait mode enabled, I've taken tiny, plenty of photos that didn't turn out very well, even though I was using this new effect. Same thing with night mode. Uh, so part of what I wanted to talk to you about is just what situations you do think these features are good for. And if you could share any tips for our listeners that could help them get better results. And for me to get better results from our portrait and night mode shots. Um, so like, when would you use portrait, when do you use portrait mode? Well, I mean, typically I will use portrait mode for like a portrait of a person, um, where I want the focus to be like 100% on them for them not to have like, for there not to be like the distraction of the background, like what I have, like, you know, going on behind me. Um, it's like really nice to, uh, when you're taking a shot of someone for it to like be fully focused on them. So, so when I'm taking portraits of people, I, I tend to use portrait mode. Uh, when I'm taking photos of my pets, it's a little different just because portrait mode has a hard time with, with hair. Um, if you've noticed, like it has a really difficult time, like it will just create a very like harsh line <laughs> around your pet. Um, or if you have curly hair, it'll sometimes like, there will be a similar issue. That's gotten that's gotten much better with more with the more recent iPhone models. 
but it still is, is not ideal to me. Um, so I guess those are the instances that I would use it. There's also been times where I, I want to get a photo of even more mundane things like a plant or something that I just a uh, cool new like product that I just bought. And I like really don't want the distraction of my like messy living room. Um, and so in those instances, I'll turn on portrait mode and it's like really good at like sort of getting rid of that background that I don't want visible. I've had the same thing where I've been able to kind of get away with taking either like a selfie with portrait mode or something like that. And I've been able to get away with having a background that's not very pretty, but it's blurred out. So you wouldn't know. So right. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, think a, I think a big thing with me too, is I actually have a nicer, uh, sorry, my cat is like, <laughs> Oh, you should have Wesley get to meet everyone. If, All right, if he hops up back up on me, I'll, I'll do that this time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I actually have like a nicer camera. So for me, it's sometimes a little more like obvious, like the differences, like sort of the, the that, that like fake blurry background effect versus like what you get from a nicer lens. Um, mm. So that might also be part of the reason why I don't use it as much. I'm like, oh, I kind of see the difference. and. Uh, but but I do I do use it and I think I think considering that we're taking these photos with our phones, uh, portrait mode is remarkable. Uh, I I love it, um, and it has it has turned otherwise like kind of mediocre shots into like beautiful shots many times. So uh, I guess and as I'm talking, I would say that I I recommend uh, phones with it. Would you say, like, do you have any tips for how to make it look as pro as possible to so that it could be like at least closer to passing for a DSLR shot? I, I think that when the subject um, is more removed from like the stuff that you want to be blurry in the background, that helps. Like when, when uh, it's too close behind them, then I think the camera has a hard time figuring out like, oh, what does, what do you want blurry? What do you want mm. in focus? Um, so maybe, maybe that's, that's a way to sort of improve shots. Also just uh, not trying to use portrait mode on like with a subject that's like moving too much. Um, I think those shots end up not turning out super, super great. What about the, um, if you do have an iPhone, I think it was 10s or later or whatever it was, what about be, um, adjusting the depth of field effect? Does that oh, yes. help? What, what oh, would yeah. you recommend doing with that? Yeah, I, I think that actually that that's a very good point. Uh, that's something I sort of forgot to bring up, but I think the ability to adjust the intensity of the, of the depth of field um, makes the feature so much more useful because previously, like when I first started using portrait mode on the older iPhone models where you can't really adjust it, a lot of times the background would just be too blurry, like so blurry that it wouldn't look natural. And so I think the ability to adjust that has helped me a lot because a lot of times I don't want a super blurry background. I just want like, you know, something a little subtle. Um, so. So you'd that, recommend usually like toning it down a bit as opposed yeah. to upping yeah. the blur. Yeah, definitely. Cool. That makes sense. All right. So that's, uh, that's really helpful for portrait mode. I think, we should move on to night mode next. We'll talk about pro raw 
uh, before we let Rayanne go for the show. But um, was there anything else you wanted to add about portrait mode before we talk about night mode? No, that, that's it. I think we covered it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I'm going to try out portrait mode with what you said, like having the background be further away. Cause that's something I don't think about that much, but so for night mode, night mode, I was just going to try to define it, but I'll let you, because you'll do a better job. So do you want to tell us about night mode? Well, night, night mode is just used to capture photos when the camera detects a low light environment. Uh, previously, like whenever you were trying to capture uh, photos with minimal lighting, the quality of those photos, uh, was not the best. And night mode is sort of a way to improve those shots. And night mode is, is uh, available on the iPhone 11 and later. Okay, that's easier to keep track of than the, all the different portrait yeah. mode caveats. So um, one thing I've noticed with night mode is that like I, I guess I was gonna say, I don't really know how to control the results of it. And so maybe could you talk a little bit about, first of all, how does it work and is it, and how you can like manually adjust it? Yeah. So night mode, night mode can be a little tricky just because it's, it's a feature that, uh, comes on automatically when your iPhone detects that there's not enough lighting available. And the amount of time that your iPhone decides to expose is also going to vary depending on the environment. Um, you can, there are like ways to adjust the amount of exposure time, but even then your options are going to vary. But the way that you do that is you'll have like the little, the little night mode icon that is yellow and it appears at the top left of, uh, you know, your camera app when, when that's open. And you'll just like tap that and then there will be a little slider above your shutter button where you can like scroll to adjust uh, the exposure time. Um, but if, if your iPhone detects that there's like, you know, uh, there's less light than is ideal, but there's still like enough light where it can get a good image, then a lot of times you'll be limited to like being able to expose the image for like three seconds. But when in an instance where the room is like really dark, um, I've taken I've taken photos with all the lights off in my house, for example, and only like the light of my stove being on. And that's like the only light in the room. And in instances like that, I've been able there's been the option to expose the photo for like up to, you know, eight seconds. So you can't quite control like if there's enough light in the room. I can't, I can't tell my phone like, oh, well, I want to expose it for eight seconds. That, that option isn't going to be there. Um, but, but yeah, you can, you can adjust it, give or take a few seconds. Could you talk about like, what are some situations you've been in where you did want, like, when would you want the exposure time to be longer? And when would you want it to be shorter, depending on the type of effect you're going for? Yeah, so I mean, just like the example that I was talking about where all the lights were off in my house and I, I only had like the little light that was coming from my stove and it was like, this blue light and I wanted the, the blue light to sort of like turn me blue, like it was a self-portrait. And I knew that that was going to take, uh, this wasn't something that was going to be accomplished in a couple of seconds. I needed my phone to expose for a while um, in order to create that effect, which is why I turned all the, all the lights off in my house, because, um, 
that's the only way that my iPhone was going to allow me to expose that long. Um, but in that instance, everything else, you know, around me turned, it was like dark and it was just me lit by the blue light of my clock. I, I wish I could just like show an example, but I don't really have that available right now. Um, but in, in an instance like that, that's where like exposing it for a long time comes in handy. In the show notes of this episode, I'll post a few um, examples from the workshop, including your self-portrait. Uh, you also shared, I remember the, um, there was a fire, nighttime fire photo that was really cool. And I'm wondering, do you remember, like did Apple, did the iPhone automatically choose an exposure you wanted for that? Or did you, like sometimes you want a photo to be dark, for yeah. instance, and night mode might make it too bright. Like would that right. be an example where it would be like that? Well, yeah. And in, in general, I actually think the iPhone does a phenomenal job of, of exposing the photo the right amount of time. Like very rarely do I have to adjust that myself. It has a pretty good, like the smarts there are, are really useful. Um, and that fire shot is a good, a good example. It, it knew the exact amount of time to really like capture all the details that I wanted captured in that, in that shot. But there was also the effect of like, you know, since it took three seconds to expose the nice little, uh, uh, the fire was very, um, oh, what is the, what is the word? Uh, Flames, it just like embers? creates a lot of like <laughs> lines up in the air. I don't know like the, what the words are I'm looking for right now, but it was very pretty. Um, and that required very, like no work on my part. I just like set the phone down. I had to make sure it was still, of course, cause that's, that is, that is a con of using night mode is you're way more likely to get blurry blurry shots. So you, you need to be prepared in that way. Um, having your phone resting on something, but that was really the only work that, uh, was required of me was just like keeping the phone still so that it could capture that shot. And it turned out beautifully. I actually think night mode on the newer iPhones that in and of itself is worth getting one of the newer iPhones. I think I, I would rave about night mode even more than uh, portrait mode. I'm, I'm very yeah. impressed with night mode. That's so good to know. Yeah. I wanted to ask you too, like, do you recommend getting a, a tripod or, I mean, to, to someone who's just a casual photographer, getting a tripod feels like more than I want to deal with, but do you think it's worth it to do that? Or can you find other workarounds to keep your phone still? Well, um, I, I, I love my little tripod. I have a very tiny one. I think when people think tripods, they often think big, bulky equipment that they have to carry yeah. around with them everywhere. Um, but I have like a little, a little tripod that sort of like can fold up and fit in my bag or whatever. It's by, by Joby. It's called the gorilla pod. Um, and there's lots of other little tripods like that. If you're super into like creative photography, then I definitely recommend a tripod. Cause there's been instances where when I want to do a self portrait, I, I can't, I can't be holding the phone. Um, I need to be having it set up in some way. And so that's where a, uh, a tripod really comes in handy. But I think in general, if, if you're just wanting to find ways to, you know, uh, capture a cl clean shot, um, of like something around you, um, then I would just recommend resting your, your hand or the phone on a, 
on a sturdy surface that ends up, even though I have a tripod that ends up being the thing I do more than anything else, just because I don't always have my tripod on me. And a lot of times when I'm, when I have a scene that I want to capture, uh, that's, that's my only option and it works just fine for me. Um, definitely like there's way more opportunities with a tri, like, you know, ways to capture photos if you have a tripod, but, um, you know, just resting your hand or the phone on a sturdy surface works just fine. Okay, cool. And I'll, again, in the show notes too, I'll post a link to the gorilla pod by Joby too, um, for anyone listening who wants to give a tripod a try, tripod a try. That's. (laughs) Oh, but, but one thing to note, uh, there may be instances, like I mentioned how night mode just comes on automatically. There may be situations where you don't want night mode to be on. And that's Mm. where you would tap the little icon and then just turn it off. Uh, Because like I mentioned, you're way more likely to get a blurry photo. So some uh, situations I've come across is I want to capture like a group of my friends. um, And the the iPhone detects like, oh, it's kind of like dark here. I'm going to turn on night mode. And then my friends are moving. They're all happy and everybody's blurry. And I can't get them to be still. And so in that instance, I'm just like, okay, it's just better. It would be better for me to have a lower quality shot, but everybody right. clear and visible um, than it would for me to have like a, a more a more nicely exposed shot, but everybody's got blurry faces and blurry arms and stuff. So yeah, just cool. like that, that makes was sense. Note to add. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad to know about that because I, I think that's some of the problems I've had with night mode, which have made me less of a fan of the feature. But now with these tips, that that's really helpful. Um, so moving on to Pro Raw, Pro Raw, as I mentioned earlier, is only available on the 12 Pro and Pro Max. So I wanted to leave that for last because it, it'll probably apply to less listeners. But I still think it's great for everyone to know what it is and also be able to decide whether that's something they might want to upgrade phones to get. Um, so what is ProRaw? So I'm going to try and simplify this because ProRaw can be a little, a little complicated to explain. But the biggest benefit of ProRaw is that you're shooting an uncompressed image. And that means you're getting as much information from the sensor, uh, like your camera sensor, to the saved photo as possible. And that just means that you have a lot more flexibility when it comes to editing, exposure, color, and white balance in a photo. Um, you know how sometimes when you, when you edit a photo too much and you notice that the quality of your photo starts to decrease? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've noticed that that happens with me a little bit. Like the more that I edit a photo, the more I'm noticing uh, its quality start to kind of like go downhill. And that's just... Uh, because I don't have a lot of information like uh, photo data to work with. And so that's way less likely to happen with ProRaw just because there's a lot of a lot of information for me to be working with. And what would you say are the pros and cons of enabling this feature, even if you do have a phone that supports it? So the pros are just you have way more flexibility when editing without, uh, without affecting the overall quality of your image. And right. if you're super into creative photography, then, um, then you're, you know, you, you want to edit your photo, you want to do like creative things to improve the shot. And so that's where taking a pro raw uh, image would be, would be better. 
but yeah, that's, that's the main, that's the main uh, pro there is just that you have way more flexibility when you're editing the photo later. What about cons? Yeah. So the cons, there are actually quite a few of those. Um, you can't use pro raw with live photos. So if you really, mm. if you really like live photos, then, uh, then you just need to remember that if you have pro raw enabled, you're not going to be capturing a live version of the image. Uh, you can't use pro raw in portrait mode. So if you like portrait mode, that's, that's a no, and you can't use it with shooting video. Um, another thing is that pro raw images are really large. I forget, I forget the, the number was it 12 times larger. Than 12 the times. Yeah. Yeah. So 12 times before. larger. And that's, that's significant. So if you, if you start just strictly taking pro raw shots, you're going to use up the storage on your phone really quickly. Um, I also don't think that it's necessary to take all of your photos in, in pro raw format. Um, I only enable it if I know uh, that I'm going to be editing that photo later. You know, there's like sometimes that you you have a shot in mind um, and you know that you're going to want to play with that shot later. And that's when I would like enable pro raw uh, for my everyday shots of like, you know, my lunch uh, or my pet. I'm, I'm not going to like enable pro raw. That would that there would just be I'm never going to do anything with those photos like. <laughs> and so so. Uh, but there's there's really no no chance of accidentally keeping pro raw on uh because of all of these cons uh your iphone actually dis like automatically turns pro raw for you uh so even if you like turn it on in the camera app the next time you open the camera app it's going to by default be off you actually nice. have to think about it you have to open the camera app and and consider like oh i want i want this image to be shot using pro raw and then you have to enable it turn it on and it, it will turn off after a while of not being used and in order for it to show up at all the first time around even if you have a phone that works with it you have to turn it on in settings first right for it even to show up yeah. as an option in the photos yeah app, and camera I, app yeah and i i believe the way that you do that is you open the settings app uh you go to camera and then I, I believe it's formats. I can I can double check that actually. Uh, so formats. Got to catch up with my. Yeah. Okay. And then at at the bottom beneath photo capture, you'll see Apple Pro Raw, and you just toggle it on there. And uh, once that's toggled on, you will always have the option uh, to enable or disable uh, Pro Raw at the top right. It'll just be like a raw with a little circle around it and a slash through it and to turn it on you just tap it and the slash will go away so it's pretty wow. simple um yeah you're probably wondering like with all of those those cons like why you would use pro raw but if you love editing your photos and you really want to maintain the quality of that shot then absolutely like pro raw is the way to go so okay last question is what um what third-party app do you use to edit your pro raw shots I use Lightroom, but I feel like there's so many different opinions out there, uh, like of you know what people consider to be the best best app. Um, I believe somebody else in our company uses uh, Photoshop, um, but yeah, I like Lightroom. Um, 
it's pretty pretty easy to use uh, and it gets done what I needed. So I'm happy. I'm happy with that one. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rand, for joining the show today. It was so fun to get your input on um, on all these features. And I know that our listeners probably got a lot out of it, too. Yeah, it was really it was really great to be here and getting to getting to talk about this stuff. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Right. Bye. Bye. We did want to do a question of the week. Uh, after Rayant's interview, we want to ask you guys how you're using ProRaw. Are there, first of all, are there any apps you're using to edit ProRaw? Are there any use cases that you found particularly helpful for ProRaw? So send us an email at podcast at iphonelife.com. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.